Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. We are officially out of Matthew chapter 5 and moving on to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we are carrying on through our series, Written So You Might Believe. And uh, in this little sub-series of that, it's the Sermon on the Mount, and we're, we're, we're looking more in depth of, of Jesus' teaching. His, Jesus is our, our great teacher, great king. He's our savior. Uh, and as he gets up on this mountainside to preach, it's, it's pretty important that we would tune our hearts in and listen to what he's saying. Um, we've been looking through quite a bit so far. We're at Matthew 6 now, so we've gone through uh, all of chapter 5 in, in his sermon. And what, what's some of the common themes that we have going on are the themes of, of righteousness, the righteousness of the kingdom of God, right? What does the righteousness look like uh, in the kingdom of God? And, and it, it looks a lot different. Right? We've heard a lot of things said where uh, he, he would say, he would challenge, he said, you've heard it said before, or maybe you've heard it taught, or maybe your idea is this. And then Jesus goes on to say, but I tell you, but I say to you, let, let me and the authority of God in the flesh tell you what it is really all about. And it comes down to the condition of our heart. Amen. It's not just about our actions or our outward uh, display of those things, but it is about the condition of our heart and our heart's desire to please him. And, and that theme of the righteousness of the kingdom uh, also couples in with uh, that theme of what is it to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And what he's doing is he, he says, maybe you take the rules seriously. Maybe you, you, you like all the rules and you like really following rules, but it's not so much about the rules as it is the heart of the matter. And that you might take rules seriously, but you don't take your heart seriously enough. And that's been a challenge to all of us. And, and he, he went right into it. He said, those who, who are um, inheriting the kingdom of God are those who are poor in spirit. Not, they don't have it all together. They're the ones that are mourning over the gravity of their sin, right? They're the ones that, that are empty, and they, they feel like nothing in this life and nothing in this world has been able to fill them up. They're the ones that come um, with a hunger, then, for something beyond themselves. Jesus says it's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when we truly, really, from a poor in spirit, mournful, empty way, come hungry before God and, and, and thirsty for his righteousness... He says, then you'll be filled. Then you'll be filled with my righteousness. And it's not a righteousness that, that you've earned. It's not a righteousness that I've attained. It's not something I've done good enough at that now I've, I'm finally at this different stage or I've leveled up in my faith. I actually leveled down, right, and in order to come uh, receive Christ's righteousness. And he imputes that to us because he is good enough and I am not. And then he went on to describe what it is then to be salt and light and then and what it is to, to know. Uh, he said a lot of the, you know, you've heard it said before, but I tell you, right? And a lot of those had to do with uh, more than just actions. So he talked about murder. He, he said, you've heard it said before, don't murder anybody. But I tell you, if you've hated your brother in your heart, you've already committed that murder. So he, he went deeper to the, the cause of the issue. He said, you and I need to deal with our anger. And then he talked about adultery, and it's not just the act of committing adultery. It was deeper than that, right? It was actually the heart of the matter. It's the fact that we have lust in our heart and desires in our heart that we should not have. Then we talked about divorce and, and marriage and remarriage. And we talked about the heart of those matters. And the heart of that matter is not just uh, when can I divorce, when can I remarry. The heart of that matter is the covenant of God is to be an exemplified in our marriages as best we can humanly do with God's help. The covenant of marriage is supreme. Last week we looked at oaths. 
like swearing an oath, and, and not just swearing an oath, but and trying to and, and how the Pharisees would swear an, swore, swear an oath to something besides the Lord, because if they made an oath to the Lord, they had to keep it. But if they swore to Jerusalem or their pet or their family member, they didn't have to keep that. They could weasel their way out of that. And we saw the Lord Jesus saying, stop. Just let your yes be yes. When you say I'm going to do something, do it. And when you say you're not going to do something or not be about something, then say no and let your no be no. We also talked about last week what retaliation should not, or that retaliation should not be a part of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's not about the righteousness of the kingdom. In fact, we saw that we should conquer evil with good. And I, I kind of want to just walk you through three tiers of this, right? And typically, we, we look in the world and we see people who return good with evil. So someone might, might have been good to them and they were evil towards them. And we call that evil. That's just wrong. Like, stop being evil. But then there's returning evil for evil. Someone was evil to you, and so I was evil back. And, and we can almost call that predictable. That's just predictable. That's what everybody in the world typically does. But Jesus said, I, it's bigger than that. It's, it, you, you heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you, right, turn the other cheek, that you should, in fact, return evil with what? With good. With good. And we looked at why. And, and the why was because in doing so, we're, we're heaping coals on that evil. We're, we're exposing it for what it is. And, and then there's no hold against us. There's no, nothing against us that says, hey, they, they were evil back anyway. No, they were good. There was a, there's, a, there, there's being salt and light. And we also knew that. Why do we do that? Because God is going to get the last word. He's the one that's going to repay, and we don't have to. So we've moved through a lot of these sayings from Jesus, these that you've heard it said, and I tell you the truth, this is what you should know. But, and today we're going to go a little bit more uh, in-depth to the, expose the heart a bit. Uh, and today's message is titled, Practicing Righteousness. So we look more in-depth to, to what should motivate our practice of righteousness. So that's going to probably challenge us in many ways. It challenged me as I worked through this this week, but I hope it uh, will be a, an edification for the body as well. But let's, uh, let's pray. And then I'm going to read 1 through 15. God, we thank you so much uh, for this day, this opportunity you've given us to come to worship you, God, to learn from you, to learn from your word. God, I pray that right now our, our hearts would be humbled. Our hearts would be quieted. God, that, that we would slow ourselves from being distracted by what we came in thinking about. And God, we would be ready to hear from you. God, we want to be the best citizens that we can be of your kingdom. Help us not be fake citizens, but real citizens with the real righteousness of the righteous king. Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. I'll read the entire text, then we'll break it down. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners 
to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others of their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. This is the word of God. So today we're going to look in depth at this passage and, and pull it apart and see what we can glean from it, uh, as it as it pertains to practicing righteousness. So number one, in your notes, if you have your, your uh, bulleted insert, you can take, take notes with it uh, and follow along. There are the references to the passages I'll be using as well. Uh, if you didn't grab one of those, uh, just those individual notes are available on the kiosk. You can grab one as you head out today and uh, use it for your personal study. There's a, a discussion sheet on the back as well we'd love for you to use, whether it be in a group or in a family time or a small group uh, or by yourself to, uh, to grow in your faith. Number one, practicing righteousness is, is not to be seen and applauded by others. The practice of our righteousness, number one, is not to be seen and applauded by others. Let's go to the text again, Matthew 6. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound the trumpet before you, uh, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. If we jump down to verse 5, whenever you pray, so we talked about giving a minute ago, now pray. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. And back down to seven and eight. When you pray, again, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So again, it's a little bit interesting. You're, you're walking through the text here, and, and we're li- or you're listening to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, you go out and be salt and be light to the world. Let your light shine before men, right, that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And we'll see that in a minute. But you think about that. We, God wants us to shine a light, but the light he doesn't want us to shine is evident here. And it goes a little further, right? He says, it's not to be what? We don't do righteousness. We don't act righteous. We don't let our light shine before others. So what? We can be seen by them. So we can be acknowledged by them. So we can be applauded by them. I'm guilty. Are you guilty of that? Like, I like the kudos, right? Give me the kudos. And Jesus is saying, if you want the kudos and you get the kudos, that's your reward. You won't have one from me. And it should go deeper than that. It should reveal to us that the righteousness of the kingdom of God, being a good citizen of the kingdom of God, is not, does not mean that I am one that goes out and wants to look a certain way to be seen by other people. There's a big difference between the salt and light passage and this one. And here's what it is. 
when, in salt and light, when you say, I, wanna, I want you to be the light of the world, right? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before others that they might see your good deeds. So they're seeing you, but they're what? Glorifying your Father in heaven, God. So the attention is, is, is reflected up to God. It's deflected from us and being seen and noticed and applauded. And it's given then instead to the Lord Jesus, who should get the credit anyway. Luke 16, Luke's account says this, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, so again, re- kind of revealing the heart, poking at the heart there, uh, they were listening to these things and scoffing at him, and, and he told them, you are the ones who, this is the mentality of doing, doing this in front of others to be seen by others, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others. So what is their concern, right? Someone that's not of the kingdom of heaven, someone who doesn't have the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven, their desire is to do things in order to be justified before man. That my actions, my attitudes, my life, uh, I want to be accepted by you. I want to be applauded by you. I want to be justified by you. That when, when I go on trial, I'll have tons of witnesses that can say, oh yeah, he's good, he's good, he's good. We, we seek that. And we are told to be careful to not do that. Be careful to not do that. Why? It goes on, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your heart. God knows your heart. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. When you and I decide that we want to justify ourselves before each other, it makes God want to puke. Why? Because he's the one to whom we must give an account. He's the one that we must stand before justified. When I get to heaven, you aren't going to be there standing in front of me judging me. Do you understand that? When you get to heaven, I'm not going to be there standing before you judging you. All those witnesses that I had piled up in my life of how good I was will be absent. But the one that does matter the Lord Jesus Christ, he will be there. And I hope, I hope for your sake, I hope for my sake, that, I, that he's not puking over the fact that I tried to justify myself all my life it, through my own righteousness before other people. The hope should be that I have, I have searched my heart that I have gone before the Lord, that I have, I have done what I have, have done because I wanted to please him. I wanted to honor him. I wanted to, to display in my life what the righteousness of the kingdom looks like, but I wanted to display more appropriately and more importantly, the righteous king himself. Good deeds, our good deeds should point us to God and not to ourselves. So these guys are self-righteous. They're trying to justify themselves uh, in the sight of people, and that's revolting to God. Uh, the Lord says it through the prophet Isaiah. He says, the Lord said, these people, these self-righteous people, they approach me with their speeches and honor me with their lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. And, and human rules direct or dictate their worship of me. Wow. I mean, we, we could spend all day on that. Do, do human rules, do human traditions, do human expectations dictate your worship of God? Do, do you find yourself preoccupied getting ready for church and like, 
I wonder how they're going to think, what they're going to think of me, and, and what if I wear this, or if I, if I say this, or if I bring this Bible, or are you just like, I can't wait to go and bow before and be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who saved me? Because it's all about his righteousness. Human rules make it so that we are seen and applauded by others. That should not dictate our worship of God. But practicing righteousness should be accompanied by a desire to please God and not others. And I, so I want to look at this idea that when we talk about be careful when you give, it's, we're talking about giving and praying today, right? And, um, and giving to needy. And, and next week, actually next week, is going to be awesome. You get to hear from uh, Dave Holst. He's going to be bringing the message next week um, on fasting. And, and um, he has amazing thoughts on that and testimony, but it's going to be a great next section of Scripture. Uh, pray for him this week, by the way. Pray for him in that prep, as you would pray for me. Amen. Yeah, he, he says amen. So practicing righteousness should be done to please God. And, and, and pleasing God as we practice righteousness, we do that through the way we give to others and, and love others. And I want to read a passage out of Deuteronomy that really, I think, sets up, again, the, the expectation that, that all of these guys should have known and should have embraced. It says this. It says, if there's a poor person among you, one of your brothers within uh, your, the city gates uh, in the land that the Lord has given to you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. I want us to understand something here. What, what Jesus is really concerned about is what our heart is going toward. Okay, understand that. It, what our heart is going toward. And what he's already warned us to be careful about is don't let your heart go toward doing things in order to please people or be applauded by people or to seek to be justified by people. Or to let that even then dictate your worship of me. Don't move your heart toward that. But our heart, in, in a heart of righteousness, it still should be toward pleasing God. And what is pleasing to God here is that, that you should not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. So, so what he wants us to know is not just to be, you know, open and, and to, to the act of giving. But he wants our heart to be toward the need. Does that make sense? Like, he wants us to be moving toward the need. Uh, going on, he may say toward too many times. It almost seems like it doesn't, it's not a word anymore. We'll keep moving on. Uh, instead, you're to open your hand to him, to him, right? And freely loan him enough for whatever he has a need for. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your where? Heart, right? So it all has to do with the heart. Uh, that Oh, it's the seventh year, the year of canceling debts. It's near, so you're stingy. The, the idea is that every seven years, there will be canceled debt. So this this brother of mine, this poor person, in a, in a year or two, it's okay. God will bless them then. I don't need to act now. And God's like, well, wait a minute. No, no. You, you need to be, be loving towards a need that's right in front of you right now. It's a matter of your heart. Don't have a wicked thought in your heart. Uh, and, and, and then you become stingy toward your poor brother and give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty. Give to him, and don't have a stingy heart. And when you give, uh, when you give, and because of this, the Lord God will bless you. Uh, here's, here's what we need to understand is that, that when, we, when we forget that it's about 
the need in front of us and responding in righteousness uh, as, as directed by God to that need, we tend to think, oh, it's no big deal. God, someone else will take care of it. But that's when we're found guilty, right? He, it, he cries out and we're found to be guilty. Uh, and I think a lot of times in this pharisaical thinking is I'm going to do what I think is right and, and, and I'm going to move forward there in front of people and I'm going to please people. And, and what we understand is you're going to be found guilty. But if we would come to a place of saying, I, I'm, I'm going to love God from my heart. I'm going to respond to him from my heart. I'm going to live righteously uh, from my heart. Then we're found to be blessed by God. And so it's, it's about moving our heart, though, toward a need, toward revealing Christ and his righteousness, not, and away from uh, moving our heart toward Wicked thoughts about the poor or about uh, thoughts only about pleasing other people. That's, that's the difference here. Toward the need and, and in front of the Lord. We do that in front of the Lord. A couple uh, other, other passages here. Psalm 41. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. So blessed. Another beatitude right here. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in the day of adversity. Another one of Proverb 19. Kindness to the poor. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. It's like the Lord said, hey, can I borrow 20 bucks for that person from you? So I go, okay, sure, Lord. I mean, yeah, it's our kindness to the poor, moving our hearts toward that, is a loan to the Lord, and he will give a reward to the lender. Again, it's the attitude of our heart. And Jesus says it needs to be from the heart. Don't do it. Outwardly, and, and that passage in uh, in Matthew talked about the the trumpet. Don't don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. There's thoughts here in, in a historical mode where there may be um, a, a time of the day or a time of the week where um, there were alms need to be giving given towards poor people, needy people. So they'd show up at the temple or outside the temple, and what would happen? They'd blow a trumpet, and then they they'd blow it loud enough, like you heard the trumpet, you knew what what was going on, that there was a need. And how, how hard would it have been for you or me to move our heart toward a needy person right after the trumpet gets blown? Because now if, you, if your heart is for Jesus and not doing this in front of people, as soon as you drop whatever you're doing and start heading to church to take care of the needy, you're doing it in front of who? Everybody that knew the trumpet was just blown. The fact of the matter should be that we have done that already before the trumpet blew is what Jesus is alluding to there. So when we practice righteousness, we should be doing it not to be seen and applauded by others. Number two, as we practice righteousness, it begins in secret. It begins in secret. Now, I, I like this. This, this is the, really the heart of the matter because it goes to the heart of the matter, right? Our heart. And, and if Jesus, we learned anything from Jesus so far, he's super concerned with what's going on in our heart. Amen? That's what he wants, is our heart. And, and, and here's, the, here's the thing we think about. When you talk about um, uh, the secret, you think about, go back to murder, right? He said, you've heard it said you shouldn't murder, but I've, I tell you if you're angry, right? I tell you if you're angry. So, and where does anger start? It starts in the Heart, and the heart is the place of secret. Man, I tell you what, if, if we could go on and on about this as well. How, how, how much junk is there in the heart in the secret for you and I? I mean, what would Jesus say? All of it. All of it is there. 
And so it, it really, if we want to practice righteousness, it, it's difficult for us because now we come to know he's actually wanting to meet us first in secret. And we don't necessarily like that because we don't want to be cleaned up in that way, do we? Well, God, well, God, I'll meet you in secret when it pertains to giving to the poor, but when it pertains to my anger and my bitterness or my hate towards my, no, 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 let's not, we're not talking about that today, Lord. Or, or go further, right? Adultery. It wasn't just the act of adultery, it was what? Sexual desire, improper sexual desire for someone who's not your spouse, lust within your heart. So when, when Jesus says, I want to meet you in secret, righteousness begins in secret, what is going to be exposed there? how filthy, dirty you are on the inside. That, that's, that's what's there. It's no wonder we run from wanting to be in the secret. It's no wonder we do everything we can to put on a facade and let people see what's on the outside only. Now, true, that outside can be connected to the inside, right? What The overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our actions eventually will find us out. And hopefully it comes from a pure heart. But ultimately, God says righteousness begins in the secret, in the heart. Verse 3 of Matthew 6. When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. The motives of your heart, it's, in, it's not, I don't want to let anybody see what's going on. It just is from the heart. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. It's interesting. Newsflash, the Father sees what is in secret. Scary, isn't it? It is for me. I mean, I look in the mirror. Verse 6, when you pray, what do you say? Go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your Father who is where? In secret. The Father is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will what? Will reward you. Listen, Jesus is our great teacher. He's our great master. He's our savior. He's letting us know how private and secret our acts of righteousness must be. And they must start from the private and from the secret. And this kind of privacy helps to ensure that our, our giving or that our praying is not prompted, even in part by, by a love of praise from others. It's the Father who's in secret, who, who knows you in secret, who listens in secret, who is waiting for us in secret, and he's waiting for our hearts to catch up in secret. Right? He wants our hearts. He wants the desire of our hearts to know him more and to embrace him more, to seek him more, to, to desire to please him. He wants our hearts to give ourselves to him first. That's what he wants. And so it, for you and I, it has to start in secret. You might say, oh, I'll get my act together, and you're, you're outwardly trying to do that, but Jesus is like, stop. Come meet with me. Come see me. I'm right here in secret, and I see you in secret. You, uh, listen, every one of you here is, is keeping a secret. Every one of us. Every one of us has some secret shame, secret fear, Secret anxiety, secret, some secret thing. And, and, and you might not share that with anybody. Okay. But you need to know, I need to know, the Father is sitting there waiting in secret to help us deal with our own heart. And he is eager 
to do that. But we ought, in order for our, our, our act to get together outwardly, what comes first is what's done inwardly. A passage in Second Corinthians, Paul is writing and exhorting this, this overflow of giving from the church, and, and he's exhorting them about how, how amazing they've done. And, and, but it's amazing what he says here in Second Corinthians 8. He says, uh, we, want, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial uh, brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty Joy and poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Extremely poor church, extremely poor people overflowed with joy and giving, generosity, right? Where did it come from? He says, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, like they gave what they couldn't give, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. They, they were practically begging to give us every last nickel they had is what Paul is saying. But not just we, or not just what we had hoped. Instead, this is what's great. There was a need. They saw the need. They moved toward the need. But before we moved to the need, right, we needed to understand that we'd meet in secret. Here's what Paul says. Not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. Yes, we need to move toward a need from the heart, but it has to be from the heart. That we meet with the Lord first, that we're right with the Lord first, that in the secret things are taken care of, and out of that, the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven is portrayed in our lives, moving toward the need around us. Um, we, we better get this right, though. It's really important for us to get this right, because there are consequences. I want to I just read a passage of scripture out of Acts chapter 4 and 5. Uh, you can turn there, actually. Turn there with me, if you would. Uh, we, we're studying this in our Sunday school class on Sunday mornings, and as this was several weeks ago now, we've covered this, but uh, really, really interesting to think about this, and as I prepared this week for this message, and the idea of, of in the private, in the secret, and not, and, and not being a deceiver from my heart, and o- only outwardly looking righteous, it, this came to mind. So Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 32. It says this about the believers. Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. One heart, heart, there's the heart right there. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. I mean, so first of all, the attitude there was one of great joy, Great participation, great willingness. It said, it's from the heart. We love Jesus. He died. He rose again. He has the victory. We want him to be the one that's seen. And it goes on in verse 34. Then out of that, there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Now, stop there for a minute. This happens, by the way, within our church. Uh, someone sells something or they just they give their tithes and offering. When we pass a plate during the offertory time, uh, all of that goes in and, and to a, a church budget that this church, the body here, has voted this to be the priority of spending. And, and what's amazing about that is there's a lot of that priority is to the church body itself, to the church family, to take care of the needs of of those who are part of the family of God. So it's, it's being lived out even today in our own church. 
So we ought to give generously out of a heart from the resurrected Lord Jesus, right? Going on, though, it gives a description now of another one. It says in verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, and, uh, and the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. So if we, if we see his name as son of encouragement, we see that he's pretty well known. He's got, a, he's got a reputation for being someone who can encourage and support and do what's necessary from the heart, right? So he sold the field that he owned. He brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. This is just in keeping with the grace of God and what has been happening within the church. This was an honorable thing out of God's grace, out of a heart and mind that was willing to move toward need. But then there's a contrast starting in chapter 5, verse 1. So we see the story of Barnabas. Then it says, but... But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what did he do? What's that? He cheated. He, he, he lied in a sense. He, he, he brought his gift, and, and he brought it for what? Outward show. He wanted to be seen and applauded. Hey, Barnabas is doing this. We're gonna, we want to be on board. Let's do this, but not from the heart. That's where that butt turns around, right? It was like everyone else is doing this from the heart, but there was a man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, not so much. They wanted the approval of man. But this began, this decision for them began in the secret. Here's what it says in verse 3. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your display? Listen, you could do whatever you want with it. But you're here telling us this is everything. And you've given everything because you're so proud to be seen by others. And in fact, it's not. I mean, if you would have prayed about it and said, hey, Look, what should we keep? Wife, okay, we're going we're gonna to keep this. Let's take this to the apostles. Hey, hey, Peter, this is a portion of our land. We kept this back for these purposes. We prayed about this. We want this to go to the need. Awesome. They did not do that because they weren't tending to the secret very well. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Ver uh, the next part of the verse. Why is it? that you planned this thing in your heart. In your heart. If we don't think the secret is important, we're wrong. He, he goes on and says, you have not lied to people, because you want to please them, but you have lied to God. Do we take this seriously? Well, guess what happens to them? Jeff, what happens to them? They got smoked. Dead. He, he dies right there. His wife isn't around. The body's carried and buried. The wife comes in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. I agree. This is what we did. And boom, dead. Carried away. If, if we don't think God is dead serious about the secret places of our heart, we have been fooled. By who? Why has Satan filled your heart with lies? God wants to tend to your heart. God knows your heart. He knows the depth of your sin and your shame and your thoughts and your lusts and your anger and your resentment. He knows it all. 
And he's sitting there. Your father is sitting there in secret wanting you to come to him and be honest and be real and to repent and to trust in him for the restoration that you need. Practicing our righteousness begins in the secret. And number three, it leads us to this. Practicing righteousness means entrusting yourself to your heavenly father. While we're there in secret now and it begins in secret, we have to. We have to entrust ourselves to him. To say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my heart. I'm going to give you my shame. I'm going to give you my sin. I'm going to give you my anxiety. I'm going to give you my temptations. I'm going to give that to you. And I'm going to be real with you about it, Lord. We entrust ourselves to him. And no greater way to see us entrusted as looking at the Lord's prayer. I do want us to understand something. Um, you know, prayer, Jesus said, don't babble, don't use many words. It's, it should not consist of repetitive words or heaped up phrases. And what's interesting is this. Jesus teaching about how we should pray ended up becoming a repetitive, many words saying that we use. Now, I'm not saying it's not okay to memorize the Lord's Prayer, but this is a model of how we ought to be considering praying, how we ought to go into prayer. This is what this is. It's not to be recited verbatim, because Jesus said, don't recite things like this verbatim. Don't use many words and eloquent speeches and, and go on and on with repetitive words. Let's go through it, though. Let, let's see what the, the heart is behind the Lord's Prayer. As we, it's a model prayer for us. Uh, what does it mean to entrust ourselves to our Heavenly Father? He says, therefore, you should pray like this. This is back in chapter 6, verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. How does it start? It starts for us realizing he is a father. The, the, the judge of the universe who's ready to condemn is not the one that's listed as seated there in the secret. Who's listed as, and he is though, but he's a, it's attributed to God, the God of the universe, that it's your father who is sitting there in secret. So yielding our heart to a, a heavenly father, the father, the father of fathers. The father that our fathers could never, ever even come close to looking like, although some try real hard to do a good job, but some don't. But the father in heaven does, and he is to be honored as father and honored as holy and approached as, Dad, I need to talk to you. No, you got to know he's your father. He goes on, it goes on in verse 10. Uh, you pray, your kingdom come, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying here? We're praying for deep humility. We're praying that, that God would cause in us to, an abandonment of our own kingdom, an abandonment of our own will, of our own way, that we say, you know what, God? I don't want anything to do with that. I want everything to do with you. I want everything to do with you. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This is a Father who meets our needs, our needs for daily sustenance, to be fed by his word and by his spirit, our need for forgiveness and reassurance that you are forgiven by Jesus Christ's blood and his death and his resurrection through faith in him. He meets our needs. He goes on, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What a great prayer to pray with your father in secret. God, you see all the things I'm tempted with. Deliver me from evil. Don't bring me into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. The evil one's wanting to spew lies and fill my heart with lies. So my, my outward righteousness is, is done in front of men. I want, God, I want you to take care of that. Don't bring me into temptation. You see those things. Deliver me from 
evil. Again, prayer should not consist of repetitive words. If you need to start there and pray the Lord's Prayer, pray it. But, but get into it and say, God, I want to use this as a model. I want to humble myself before you. I want to, I want to acknowledge you as Father. I, I want you to, I want to pray that you meet my needs for more sustenance in the Spirit to grow and maybe meet the physical needs around me. And God, I want to be delivered from the sin in my heart. Some people assume that this is what gets God's attention, this, this kind of repetitive prayer. Like if I say enough, our fathers, I'll, I'll be good to go. Right? If I, if I memorize enough passages and just recite it, I'm, I'm okay. God, God's favor is there. It's what gets God's attention, and it's probably more probable that he won't answer your prayers if they're eloquent and long. He's like, can you just, can you just entrust your heart to me for two seconds? He wants your heart. Ecclesiastes 5 says this, Don't be hasty to speak. Do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. Let your words be few. If our heart is for the Lord, if we're entrusting ourselves to him, we, we can rest in him. I love this passage out of Isaiah 65. <clears throat> he says, even before they call. Understand this. This is the heart of you and I as in, in practicing righteousness from the secret with our Father who's in secret, even before they call, right? When they moved and turned their heart toward me, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Doesn't take much, does it? I want think about it with children. How, you know, I, there are several times in my own family, right? Or in my own life, in my own personal experience as a child, where I, I, was, I was in trouble. I, I knew I'd done something wrong, and I knew my parents knew. And, and, and what was amazing about graciousness within my parents was that at that moment, I, they, if, if I didn't fess up, if I didn't want to turn my heart, and there would be, there'd be judgment, there'd be wrath, there'd be, hey, we know. But the moment, the moment I just, I turned my heart towards them in repentance, the moment I turned my heart towards them in sorrow, what was there on the other end waiting for me? Love and grace. Why? Because there was a willingness from my heart to meet in the secret. And, and my parents were great at that, but how much better is our Father in heaven at that? Our Father in heaven is there in the secret, ready to meet with you in the secret. And all he wants is for you to turn the attitude and the countenance of your heart toward him and entrust yourself to him. And he will take care of you. Our final passage is from 1 Peter, if you would turn with me there. Towards the end of the Bible, almost uh, it's one of the last, last few books of the, of the Bible, 1 Peter, chapter 2. It's right after James. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, chapter 2. How, how can we trust God? And, and today, you'll see we have the elements here for Lord's Supper. We're going to be participating and partaking in the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. And, and this, this is what it comes down to, that, I, that I, I know he knows me. And I know what he has done for me. And now I'm able to entrust myself to him. And, and when I partake in the Lord's Supper, it is because of what he has done in the secret and what has been done in the secret between me and him. Partaking in the Lord's Supper, coming down and, and partaking or, or receiving it there and taking it in your seat, it is not, it is not about you. It's like, oh, look how good I am. 
I got my gold star for the day, my cup and my, my abuse and my cracker. That is not the attitude we should have towards this. This should be an attitude from the heart toward God. First Peter 2, look at verse 21 and following. Peter says, you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you. What were we called to? Well, we were called to suffering. But, but I think I, we could use it for today. We were called this way. We were called to that deep humility in the secret with God. And so why can we entrust ourselves there? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. That's why we can trust him. He didn't sin. He, there's no deceit there. The enemy wants to fill our heart with lies, and we continually yield our heart to him. There's no deceit found in Christ. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he himself, as the example, entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That was the Father in heaven. Verse 24, he himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for what? Righteousness. This is what living and practicing righteousness means, that, that we have entrusted ourselves to the God of the universe who meets us in the secret, who has sent Christ to bear our sins on his body in the tree so that having us met in the secret and died to our own sin and entrusted ourselves to him, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But you have now returned in the secret, in that place with the Father, with your heart towards him, to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We are, we are trusting ourselves, entrusting ourselves to him. Listen, all of us have sinned. All of us have separated ourselves from God. But God, who is rich in mercy, has sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to die in your place and to die in my place. That, that stuff that's going on in the secret, he knows. And in fact, he died for that. He bore your sin on himself, God's wrath for you on him. So that through faith in Christ, you and I can be forgiven. And, and then we ignore and we push him away from the secret. No, we should run to him in the secret. We should run to him, burying our soul, entrusting our heart to him. We're entrusting ourselves to the one who suffered. He suffered for our pride. He suffered for our secret sin. He suffered for our shame. And we now, because of faith in Christ, we don't have to try and do it perfectly anymore. In fact, we cannot. But he did. He did do it perfectly so that, that we can trust him and we can allow him now, as we entrust ourselves him, to him, to be the shepherd of our souls, the Savior of our souls. And in doing that, we've now put ourselves in a place to actually live like citizens of the kingdom of heaven from the heart of God's righteousness in us, that we would be found with the righteousness also of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. God, as, as, we, as we go into in a few minutes here, God, a time of reflection, a time of, of reverence. God, our, our desire is to, is to reflect and remember what you have done. God, to be reminded of the great sacrifice that you have made for us 
as you gave yourself on that cross for our sins. God, as you offered your body as, a, as an atonement. God, we don't take that lightly. In fact, God, that endears us to you. Help, help us to entrust ourselves more to you every single day because, God, you are the one who knows what's going on in secret in our heart, and you still died. You still love us. And you're asking that we come and entrust ourselves to you. Help us to do that. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.